Well, of course, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He was a patriot and a God-fearing man, and God called him to a very thankless ministry, preaching repentance to the people of Judah, and in particular, the leadership and all the people in Jerusalem. And, of course, it was not well received as frequently when we preach a, a, a message that's calling for change. Uh, oftentimes we as human beings resist what we uh, believe to be some sort of an attack on the way we're doing things. And of course there could be some truth to that if it's just one person's opinion versus another person's opinion. But when it's the God of creation, our Creator, the uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God that's revealed to us in nature and in the Bible. When God calls us to repentance, and it's something that we should take a look at and certainly respond to. Of course, Jeremiah was one of three major prophets that were contemporaries. Uh, He was the senior of these three, being the oldest, and called to ministry before the others were called to ministry. And you've heard me share before, I believe that Daniel and Ezekiel, because of their uh, positions, because of their families, that they certainly would have been there and heard the preaching of Jeremiah in the temple discourses. No doubt they had an effect on their lives as they developed and matured, and certainly they were aware of each other, and God used all three of them mightily. Of course, just historically, we know that good King Josiah had led in a great revival in the land. Unfortunately, it was not much beyond the king. Uh, The people went through the motions of the revival and followed his administrative leadership. But as we saw in last Sunday's message, and we continue to see in our study through Jeremiah, the hearts of the people largely were still lost into selfishness, self-centeredness, greed, and idolatry. Well, God said to Josiah, because of your repentant heart, I'll not judge Jerusalem as long as you're alive. But after that, they are going to be judged. And of course, we know historically that good King Josiah was killed in a battle when he was trying to stop the Egyptian forces from going north to the Battle of Carchemish. Uh, And at that point in time, he had a son named Jehoahaz that was on the throne for a very short period of time, just three months. And then Egypt basically subjugated uh, Jerusalem. And another king named Jehoiakim was placed on the throne. Within a couple of years, as Nebuchadnezzar swept down through uh, the Holy Land and into Egypt, driving Necho and his forces back into Egypt, uh, he got word that his father had died. And that he now not only was the commander-in-chief of the Babylonian military, but he was the emperor. So he went back to Babylon just to make sure everything was in order. And it was at that point in time that he subjugated Jerusalem. This was a couple of years after the fact. And took that first batch of of conquered subjects, including Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, back to the governmental city, the capital city of Babylon. And of course we know that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego served within the administration, served faithfully as servants of the Most High God, but also were very reliable counselors to the emperor. We know that Jehoiakim led in a rebellion, quit paying tribute to Babylon, tried to align himself with the friendly uh, face or forces of Egypt. 
And at that point, Nebuchadnezzar sent his forces to bring Jerusalem back under control. And that is the what we know as the second conquest in 597 B.C. And it was at that time that Ezekiel was taken captive. And about 10,000 of the old middle class merchants, blacksmiths, and the like uh, back to Babylon. They didn't live in the capital city. They lived largely in a refugee city of Jews about 50 miles south of Babylon on the Jabbar River. Uh, called Tel Aviv. And then finally the next king that had been placed after Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin was King Zedekiah. And there was a conflict there because the false prophets of Judah kept pointing back to Jehoiachin that was now a captive king and uh, been subjugated and was a slave back in Babylon. Uh, as Jeremiah was preaching repentance the false prophets were pointing to the temple saying, we don't need to repent. We're still, we're still God's people. In fact, any day now, Jehoiachin is going to be returning. And then everything's going to be okay. You're going to see. Well, obviously, if the people were living with that false hope, Zedekiah wouldn't have been a respected uh, king on the throne. He would have been obviously the political leader at the time. But he wouldn't have been the absolute ruler over the people because the people knew that he really wasn't supposed to be in that position. But eventually Zedekiah heeded bad counsel and quit paying tribute and became a thorn in Nebuchadnezzar's side. And then at that point in time, what we know as the final conquest, 587 B.C., that's what Daniel and Jeremiah and Ezekiel kept pointing to. This judgment was coming. Finally, it did come in 587, and the city was destroyed. And Jeremiah, this faithful prophet, this patriot who was accused of being a traitor because of the message that he was preaching to the people, Jeremiah for 40 years lived there in Jerusalem and even was living inside the walls of the city as the Babylonians had surrounded the city and he was suffering at the hands of, of all the deprivation uh, that was going on as there was a shortage of food and water and things like that. Of course this is the family tree of the kings of Judah and we see that Jeremiah's ministry began in the 13th year of the 30 year reign of King Josiah and he ministered to the, uh, or attempted to minister to the people in Jerusalem throughout the last half of Jehoiah's, Josiah's great reign. And then through these crummy kings that were godless leaders uh, all the way through Zedekiah and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. So tonight we're going to get through chapter 26 with that background. Let me read these first couple of verses. And in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, so in the first half, of Jehoiakim's reign. The son of Josiah, that's who Jehoiakim was, king of Judah, came this word from the Lord saying, Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah, I want you to go stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. And I want you to speak all the words that I command thee to speak to them. Don't hold back. Don't diminish a word. If I tell you to say something, even though it's not going to be popular, you better say exactly what I've told you to say. To say. Don't try to change the message to please the people. Well, of course, as I said a moment ago in the review, remember Josiah was killed. Immediately his son Jehoahaz was put on the throne. Within three months, the Egyptians that were on the way north to the battle of Karshemish to align with Assyria in trying to fend off Babylonian rise to power. But at that point the Egyptian emperor, Pharaoh Necho, took Jehoahaz as his prisoner. 
and put Jehoiakim on the throne. And politically, he was aligned tightly to the Egyptian axis. So you had the Babylonians up in the north that were now in power, having knocked out the Assyrians. You had the Egyptians in the south that were a counterpower, but they wound up losing to the Babylonians. Nevertheless, Jehoiakim had aligned himself with the Egyptians in this power play. And then it was at this point in time, early in his reign, after after um, the surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, after Nebuchadnezzar had returned back to Babylon, it was at this point that we remember from chapter 7 what were called Jeremiah's temple discourses. Now understand, the passage of Scripture said that Jeremiah was to speak to all the cities of Judah. Well, how was he going to do that? If he's standing in the gate of Jerusalem, of the temple in Jerusalem, how is he going to at the same time speak to all the cities of Judah simultaneously? Well, he couldn't be everywhere at the same time. However, during the Jewish feasts, everybody came to him. So you had the spring feast that surrounded Pesach. You had the summer feast that surrounded Shavuot, or what we know of as Pentecost. And you had the fall feast of tabernacles. All of these these three feasts, all Jews, Jewish men in good health and capable of traveling, were supposed to return to the city of Jerusalem for a week-long time of commemoration, celebration, uh, sacrifice, honoring the Lord, remembering who the Lord is, remember who they were as a people, and fellowshipping together. There would be food and joyous occasions as well as solemnities during these periods. Well, in the middle of one of these feasts, who knows, probably Pesach, that was obviously one of the most important feasts as the Jews remembered their deliverance from captivity in Egypt. But at this point in time where all the people are back in the city, here you have Jeremiah going into the gates of the city and preaching that you need to repent. This is the primary thing that separated Jeremiah from the other prophets. He was bold, he was audacious, And quite frankly, as God told him, don't you change a word that I tell you. Don't you try to to please feelings. You preach the truth. And quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, as Pastor Dan preached weeks ago on the subject, a non-offensive gospel with a question mark after it, error is offended by truth. And if we are going to stand up for the truth, with a capital T being the Lord Jesus, and stand up for all biblical truth, with a small t, then we are going to offend those that are trying to promote a lie or are working works contrary or counter to the works of the Lord. So Jesus himself was the most controversial man that ever walked on the face of the earth. If you read in the book of Acts, Paul, as he was taking the gospel throughout Asia, every city he went to, Usually a riot broke out, and he either wound up in jail or chased out of town. Folks, truth is controversial. Truth does offend. And rest assured that when Jeremiah went to the gates of the temple in Jerusalem and preached to those people, again, as I said last Sunday, this wasn't to the, to the bar rooms and brothels. He was there at the gates of the temple preaching, you need to repent. Well, what from? They were going through all the motions of religion. They were doing all the things that the, uh, uh, the law that was given at Mount Sinai said they were supposed to do regarding worship. They were bringing sacrifices. They were, they were, uh, doing the, they were checking the boxes, so to speak. But their hearts were far from God. 
And that's one of the things that we've got to understand. And, and it's been consistent throughout biblical history and world history. God's not concerned with our religious pretense, how pretty we look on the outside. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees whited sepulchers. What is that? Well, during the high holy days, during the feast days, they would go out and paint graves, these exterior gravestones, white, so that pilgrims coming to Jerusalem wouldn't accidentally stumble across them and be ceremonially defiled. But Jesus said to the Pharisees that you are nothing but whited sepulchers, beautiful and painted white on the outside, but inside you're full of death, you're full of dead men's bones. Well, that's what was going on here. The Jews proclaimed that they were God's people. The false prophet said, there's nothing to worry about. You're God's people. There's the temple. Everything is fine. You don't need to change anything. But throughout the course of the week, they were corrupt in their business practices. They were immoral in their relationships. They, they took advantage of the weak. Uh, they ignored the elderly and the, and the orphans and the widows. Uh, they did everything contrary to what God called them to do the other so-called six days of the week, but they looked beautiful on a Sunday morning, as we would say, going to church. And then as Jeremiah preached repentance, the false prophets would point to the temple and said, no, we don't have anything to worry about. God lives with us. We're His people. There's His dwelling place. Nothing's going to happen. Everything's peaceful. Don't worry. Jeremiah is nuts. Well, that wasn't the case as we look back at historically and now know. Verse 3, God says to Jeremiah, If so be that they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way, then I will not respond to them as I am currently going to respond to them. I won't punish them. I will repent of the evil that I am going to bring upon them. I won't give them the spanking that they deserve, which I purpose to do to them because of the evil of their doings. Again, this is not because God is vindictive or hateful. It's because the people were disobedient. God sent prophets and called them to repentance. He sent prophets and called them to repentance. He sent times of famine. He sent times of drought, trying to get their attention. And finally, God had to act. Verse 4, And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord, If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servant, the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, that's a metaphor example. It's that getting up at the crack of dawn and working all day. I mean, these guys were getting after it. They were doing everything I called them to do. Getting up at the crack of dawn, rising early, but you won't hearken unto them to walk in my, to my law. Uh, yet you have not hearkened. Verse 6, Then will I make this house, speaking of the temple, remember Jeremiah standing right there in the pride of Jerusalem, right there at the gates of Solomon's temple, this beautiful temple, as you can see an artist's depiction on the screen behind me. He points to the temple, I will make this house just like Shiloh. And will make this city, Jerusalem, God's holy city, a curse to all the nations of the earth. Well, we as 21st century Christians in America go, what does that mean? I'll make this house like Shiloh. Well, when Joshua led the Jews into the promised land after the 40 years in captivity, originally the priesthood operated out of, and the tabernacle was placed in this city called Shiloh. We say Shiloh. This was where the Ark of the Covenant and the altar and the tabernacle resided for the first 
some 369 years when the Jews were in the Promised Land. This was the original capital city. This was the original holy city. It was to Shiloh that the Jews would return every spring, every summer, every fall for the holy days. But now, Jeremiah is saying, look at Shiloh. What's happened to it? Temple's not there anymore. In fact, this was a video clip that uh, Cindy and I took while we were in Israel just a couple of years ago, and it was from this incredible archaeological find, the ancient biblical city of Shiloh. Let me play it for you. Okay, we are in Shiloh. This is where for 369 years the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant would have sat. This is where Eli, the priest, would have uh, administered his uh, time of service. And back over in this area, you can see this area carved out here. It's exactly 50 feet wide and 100 feet long going in this direction. So that's the dimensions that were given in the book of Exodus for the uh, outer court. And then back in that area that's behind that fence would have been where the holy place and where the holy of holies would have sat for those 369 years. Of course, you know the story. There was war with the Philistines. Eli and Hophnius uh, sent the Ark of the Covenant off, thinking that that was their lucky charm bracelet. And, of course, it fell into the hands of the Philistines. And then you know the rest of the story from there. But this was the first capital of the uh, unified tribes of Israel. And for 369 years, the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the Lord would have dwelt right back in this area, in this plateau. Go ahead and get a panoramic around here. Beautiful high mountains. And back behind us here will be the actually the city of Shiloh. festivals a year. There could have been hundreds of thousands of people camped around this community in all these hills and the valleys around here. Didn't you love those bifocals that I'd made? The sunglasses with my readers right over the top of them. You know, it's amazing what we do as we get older, and we don't even think it looks goofy. But then we see ourselves, and we go, yep, that looks goofy. But on the screen, you see an artist depiction. They're from the archaeological site, the museum that's there in Shiloh, of what the tabernacle would have looked like superimposed. And those are actually the hills around the city. You, know, you can imagine hundreds of thousands of Jews uh, just sleeping out there, encamped out there around the tabernacle during the, the Feast of the High Holy Days. And then here you've got, this is what it looks like today. So what Jeremiah was saying uh, is, Look at this temple. This is going to be just like Shiloh. It's going to be gone. It's going to be empty. It's going to be swept away unless you repent. Well, that wasn't well received. And as you can see in the picture, it is empty. There is no temple that's there anymore. There is no tabernacle that's there anymore. By the way, as you look across the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, what is missing from the temple complex? The temple. You've got the Alaska Mosque there at the south end. You've got the Golden Dome of the Rock there in the central portion. 
but the temple is not there. So exactly what God said would happen actually did happen. But when Jeremiah tried to address the people and warn them of what was coming, all they did was get mad. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking this words, these words in the house of the Lord. And it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priests and the prophets and the people took him, they arrested him, and said, You deserve to die. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Well, there's a popular guy right there. Let me tell you, at this point in time in his ministry, he had to be a little bit discouraged. There's Jeremiah standing all by himself, and then there's everybody else on the other side of the table, all calling for Jeremiah to die. Well, it was at this point that the civil authorities stepped in. And when the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. Then spake the priests and the prophets and the princes to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as you all have heard with your own ears. So the priests and the prophets and the spiritual leadership um, rallied the people, arrested Jeremiah, accused him of treason, accused him of being a false prophet, saying, you, you said that God is going to allow this city to be destroyed. You said that God is going to allow His temple to be destroyed. Well, you know what the law says about a false prophet. False prophets should die. Certainly God won't allow His temple to be destroyed. Certainly God won't allow His city to be destroyed. And you can picture what's going on here, much like what happened in the book of Acts when Paul was there in the temple and was arrested and there was a mob that were going to kill him when the Roman authorities stepped in uh, before mob justice could be implemented. Well, that's the same thing that took place here. We see this uh, in the gates of the city. Was it the, uh, it says there in the temple complex. So likely, possibly that eastern gate. And understand historically that the gates of the city are where the judicial system took place. That's where the elders met in court cases, legal cases, uh, questions over uh, land disputes or whatever would be heard by the elders there in the gates of the city where all the people could bear witness. Now on the screen behind me you see a picture of the ancient city of Dan up north. We're up actually in the city looking down over the front gate of the city and outside the gates. This is from a reverse angle looking up the hill toward the main gate going into the city of Dan. And inside that area there, straight ahead, you can see some seating. And you see there on the left side of the screen as you look, there's actually a platform there where the king would have sat. And he would have ruled from that spot. And then to the right there, going around there and working back towards you, or his other bench seating, and that's where the elders of the gates would have heard. Something very similar uh, would have taken place there with Jeremiah and his trial there in the gates of the uh, temple. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and to all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. So they had accused him of being a false prophet. Jeremiah is pushing back saying, uh-uh, I'm not being a false prophet. I'm doing exactly what God told me to do. 
Therefore, now, you, spiritual leadership, you, priests, you, prophets, you amend your ways and your doings and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will repent Himself of the evil that He hath pronounced against you. In other words, if you turn, just like with, with Nineveh, when Jonah went and preached to Nineveh, said, 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. But what happened? The king and all the people listened, and they were grieved, and they were fearful, and they repented and sat in sackcloth and ashes and changed their behavior, and God wound up not judging the city for another hundred years. Well, the same promise was being made here. The same offer was being extended to the Jews. If you will repent and turn back to God and obey, then God won't have to judge you. Verse 14, as for me, you can do whatever you want to with me, but know for certain that if you kill me, you're going to be putting an innocent man to death. Because I'm not a false prophet. I'm doing exactly what God called me to do. God sent me to speak to you this message. And if you murder me, my blood is going to be on you and upon this city and upon all the inhabitants thereof. For the truth is that the Lord hath sent me to speak all these words in your ears. And then, here you've got the political leaders that had intervened. And this is one of the purposes of the civil governing authority. The Bible tells us that the purpose of civil government is to punish evil and to protect the good, that we may live peaceably in all godliness. Romans 13 reminds us that it's a civil authority that actually has the power of the sword, the power of capital punishment. And the civil government properly intervened here when there was a mob that had taken, uh, wanted to take justice into their own hands and, and kill Jeremiah. And the civil authorities listened. They listened to the accusation. They listened to Jeremiah. Now again, remember this is early on. This is during Zedekiah's reign. So this is when the first few years of subjugation to Babylon. They said, this man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then rose up certain of the elders of the land and spake to all the assembly of the people, saying, remember, let's look back in our history. Do you remember a hundred years ago, Micah, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become just nothing but rubble, and the mountains of the house as the high place of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did they not fear the Lord? And they begged the Lord and repented, and the Lord repented Himself of the evil which He had pronounced against them. Thus might we, if we go on down this road, we might procure great evil against ourselves. So historically, you see up on the screen, you see that yellow outline, that was the time of Micah's ministry. Uzziah had been a great king, but in his prosperity he got proud and he took upon himself things that he shouldn't have taken upon himself. Namely, he went into the temple to offer sacrifices, to offer uh, incense on the golden altar. And that was forbidden. That was the responsibility of the priesthood, not the king. And the priests came in and stood against Uzziah and said, you shouldn't be in here. And he said, who do you think you are? I'm the king. Get out of my way. I'll do what I want to do. And God struck him. He was a good king, but God struck him with leprosy. In the last 10 years of his reign, he was actually co-regent with his son, Jotham. And again, things were pretty good. Jotham was a pretty godly king, but the kingdom was beginning to erode. 
Ahaz came on board for 16 years, was a terribly wicked king. So you've got Micah going toe-to-toe at this point in time, preaching repentance alongside Isaiah. Again, many of the, uh, uh, the references we make around Christmas time uh, from Micah and Isaiah uh, are attributed to this period of time. You know, Isaiah prophesied, warned of coming judgment, then promised that the Messiah would in fact come and said he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7.14. Um, Isaiah 9, uh, again, said judgment is coming. However, the Messiah will come. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And you know that passage that we use so often around Christmas time. We know uh, Micah reminded them out of Bethlehem Ephratah, Micah 5, 2, that the Messiah would come. So it was in this period of time, going toe-to-toe with his wicked king Ahaz. And then after Ahaz's death, his son Hezekiah came to the throne. And Hezekiah listened to God's word spoken through Micah the prophet and through Isaiah the prophet. And Micah had prophesied saying the city is going to be destroyed, the temple is going to be destroyed. In fact, the destruction was, would be so utter that they will plow the city with plows because there will be nothing left. You know, imagine a plowed field. You know, go look at downtown Oklahoma City and then imagine comparing that to a plowed field. That's what Micah said was going to happen to Jerusalem. And these elders said, wait a second, Micah preached the same message. We didn't kill him. In fact, King Hezekiah listened to him and repented of going in the wrong direction. And God wound up rescuing the people of Israel. So don't forget about that as we're making this decision. And then they thought of another case. This was a contemporary of Jeremiah, amazingly. Verse 20, And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord. His name was Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land according to all the words of Jeremiah. He was saying the same thing Jeremiah is saying. And this would have been a real recent event. So during the time of Jehoiakim is when this took place, as we'll see in verse 22. And when King Jehoiakim the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But Urijah heard that Jehoiakim wanted to have him put to death. He was afraid, and he fled for his life. And he fled Jerusalem and went to Egypt. Well, there was a cooperative of extradition between Judah and Egypt, and Jehoiakim sent his troops uh, or sent a delegation to go to Egypt and retrieve Urijah, which he did. And they brought Urijah back, and they tried him and murdered him. They killed him right there. It's interesting to consider. You know, there's a famous saying that says the safest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. And there have been many great preachers that have said, you know, you stay right in the middle of God's will, God will not take you home one day before your work on earth is done. It's interesting to compare these two because they were contemporaries. Of course, you know, we saw the comparison and the contrast between Micah, who lived a hundred years earlier, preached the same message, but King Hezekiah listened and repented, and Micah's life was spared, and the people repented, and the city was blessed. But you've got two guys here that were contemporaries. You've got Jeremiah, and you've got... um, yeah, Urijah preaching basically the same message at the same time with the same king. They didn't like Jeremiah. They wanted to kill him. 
But the civil authorities intervened. God spared his life. Uriah, on the other hand, got afraid, fled. They sent after, arrested him, brought him back, and did kill him. You know, when we think back of great men in the Bible, and we think of how God miraculously delivered Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12, when he was scheduled to be put to death the next day, but that night the church had been praying for his uh, deliverance, and that night the angel of the Lord showed up and miraculously brought Peter out of the jail cell and delivered him, and Peter continued his ministry. But at some point in the future, we know that Peter wound up being arrested, only that time he wasn't delivered. That time he was put to death. We think of the Apostle Paul. We think of of Paul singing hymns at midnight and God miraculously opening the cell doors and Paul being delivered. But we also know that at some point in time in the future that there was a point where Paul was arrested and he was not delivered. He was put to death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived the judgment of the fiery furnace. But eventually... It's appointed and a man wants to die. Eventually they die. Daniel survived judgment, spending a night in the lion's den. But again, as we said a moment ago, it's appointed and a man wants to die. Eventually Daniel did die. Stephen, faithful man of God. We hardly heard about him. In Acts chapter 7, he was stoned to death. The Apostle Paul lived for several decades Stephen's ministry lasted for maybe a year, maybe 18 months at most, was killed or martyred early on. Paul lasted a couple of decades and then was martyred. Folks, all I can say is that God won't take us home until our work is finished. And our call is to be faithful to do what God has called us to do. We have no idea whether we're going to live for 24 hours or for 24 more years. But we do have the responsibility to stay right in the middle of God's will and faithfully do what God has called us to do. We know in that case that we won't run the risk of being punished for disobedience. We just know that one of these days, either the Lord's going to call us home by the rapture or these bodies are going to wear out and we're going to die. Or perhaps if America keeps going down this path, we may actually be arrested for what we do. We may actually face martyrdom. Boy, I hope not. We're working very hard uh, to try to combat that and and restore liberty in, in our country. However, our responsibility is to be faithful, to do what God has called us to do. It's up to God to determine our length of days and determine whether we are going to be rescued from peril or allowed to be the subject of heinous action by the world that hates Jesus, and by extension, hates followers of Jesus as well. Last verse of chapter 26, Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah, that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. Now, Ahikam had been a respected advisor all the way back to King Josiah. As a matter of fact, as I said Sunday morning, uh, Josiah had sought to renovate the temple, beautify the temple, and when they were doing that, they discovered the law. Imagine, they'd lost 
God's word for all these years because they were so off into idolatry. The law was read to Josiah. When Josiah heard it, he rent his garments, and he sent a delegation to a famous prophetess named Huldah to ask if God was going to judge Jerusalem or if he would be willing to spare Jerusalem. Well, this Ahikam was one of those advisors that were a part of that delegation that went to the prophetess Huldah. So he was a respected man with years of service inside the Judean government. And he took Jeremiah's side. And he intervened and helped influence that court to spare Jeremiah. So what was it? It was God at work. And God used this man of influence, this Ahikam, in a place of influence to accomplish what God's ultimate perfect will was at this point in time. So that wraps up our study of chapter 26. This kind of, again, Jeremiah is not in chronological order. It's really grouped by topic. And this particular topic actually dates back to chapter 7, the temple discourses. Early on in the first half of Jehoiakim's reign, and of course this great showdown after Jeremiah preached this unpopular message right there on the gates of the temple, and the people wanted to put him to death, and we saw the events uh, surrounding that and how God intervened and delivered Jeremiah to continue to do his work. Next week we will continue in uh, chapter 27.